が全て遠回り全て大回りなのにそれなのに近道探してみて小回り大回りに見つからないようにばかり挙げくの果ては拝み神頼み少しでも楽に人よりも前にかなわぬと知るやいなやいやみひがみ鬼畜の極みナムアミラブツ That was Red Wimps. I'm Bo Ransdell, and this is Hero Hero Go Show. Here we are on the cusp of the halfway point of season one, and we have looked at some of the titans of Asian horror. We've talked about Juan and Audition, Verses and Phone, and now we turn、uh, our attention away from Japan and South Korea to the island of Hong Kong. And there we will find the origins of today's movie, a nasty little shocker called Dream Home. Here to search for that elusive place to call our own. Is Zena Dixon, also known as the real queen of horror on Twitter, and half of the team that produces Girls Will Be Ghouls, along with Ashley Blackwell,、uh, which you can find right here on Legion Podcasts.、Um, if I may delay the inevitable for just a moment longer, I have to tell one quick story. When I first、uh, happened across Graveyard Shift Sisters,、uh, I, I was blown away by the quality of the writing, and the perspective was unique, and, the, and there just isn't simply enough of that kind of writing out there.、Mm-hmm. Uh, so I reached out. And I asked, Hey, have you guys thought about doing a podcast? And the response I got was, Shut up, we're working on it.、Um, <laughs> although way more polite than that. That's what I would have said. And、uh, the point being that this was the first show that didn't exist yet that I went after. And I'm absolutely proud to,、uh, to have the show on the network. It's a show that I listen to as soon as I get my grubby little hands on it. And I am,、uh, I'm, I'm supremely pleased、uh, to have you here. But so, enough buttering up、uh, of our guest. I think、uh, you can hear how excited I am to have her. So, Zena, take a bow, tell me what I got wrong, and also fill in the gaps because the amount of stuff you do makes me tired to describe it. <laughs> okay, well, first, I just want to thank you for inviting me on. I'm super duper excited to talk about this movie and、uh, to be chatting with you tonight as well. Um, and your intro was, was awesome. But,、um, and also, shout out to Ashley, graveyardshiftsister.com. I absolutely love her and I love her writing. Like, when I first、um, came across her, I just like stalked her entire life because I just <laughs> I wanted her to love me back. So I, I was just like, I'm going to become her, like, her BFF forever, just forever and ever. And, you know, I, I don't, I, I like to think that I achieved it because, you know, we're doing this. We do an awesome podcast together. So, you know, but、um, I'm,、uh, as Bo said, I'm Zena. I、uh, run the website realqueenofhorror.com where I have written reviews, video reviews, audio, different kinds of audio podcasts. I've been doing this since 2011. Been a horror fan pretty much all my life, pretty much since I was in my mom's womb. Um, my mom is a huge horror fan, so I'd like to think technically she's the queen of horror, but I just took it. So. <laughs> right. Well, because a princess of horror doesn't, you know, have the same punch. It doesn't. It really, it really doesn't. So I just, I just took it and here I am today. And,、uh, I won't let you skip past this. The, the video reviews that you've been doing,、uh, up on, on the YouTube,、yeah. um, are fantastic. Oh,、They're、thank you. They're really good. So, 
Um, and I'll have links to all this stuff in the show notes. So by all means, go and check all this stuff out. Um, before we get into, into our movie today, though, there is something that you and I have in common that I learned on the last uh, Girls Will Be Ghouls. And it made me so happy. Okay. Uh, you and I have a shared love of the movie House. <gasps> I love that movie so much. I, oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, when, when you mentioned that... Uh, you were talking about horror comedies, and it, it, again, great episode. Everybody should go listen to it. Um, but you you just dropped House, uh, just a mention of it, and then you know moved on as you were talking about other movies. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh my god, she knows Big Ben. And uh, so as soon as I heard that, I was like, all right, when we're talking, we are going to take one second to talk about uh, the ridiculousness of the movie House and just what a wonderful movie that is. It is so ridiculous and outrageous. I even, um, I remember watching it like when I was a little kid, like my brother, he would always bring home these outrageous movies so my mom wouldn't know. But um, so we started watching it and I was just, I'm, I was so intrigued with Big Ben. I even have like a list, probably did it probably like two, three years ago on like the top underrated like horror villains. And he's one of them. Like he was, he was just, no matter what, he just kept on coming back. So, I don't know. I, I really love this movie. And um, I do have to admit, even though it is, it's so cheesy, it does have some creepy little elements in it. Yeah, oh, for sure. Um, it, and the weird thing, like, a long time ago, I actually interviewed uh, the writer of the film. Awesome. Yeah, and we were talking about the the fact, I, I, I contend that... The thing that makes House so great is that there don't appear to be any set rules. It's just whatever weirdness. Like, when you open a door and, you know, the closet monster comes out, um, you know, it, it's like, well, there's no reason for this. It just is. <laughs> it's true. And it was very unexpected. Yeah. And he was saying, no, 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 there are rules. And I was like, yeah, you're going to have to describe those to me because I'm not buying it. Um, <laughs> and uh, the moment where Roger, uh, first of all, it's amazing that the greatest American hero ends up fighting Bull from Night Court. Uh, that's uh, that's incredible to begin with. And uh, but the conversation that he has with Norm from Cheers about the raccoon in his closet is sincerely one of my favorite scenes, I think, in movies ever. I thought that that was pretty awesome and clever what he did to get him up yeah. there. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's a it's a really big raccoon. Uh, yeah, it's it's so so good. Um, all right, all right, but we're not here to talk about house, even though we could, and and perhaps someday we will. I think uh, that we need to actually. Yeah, <laughs> um, but we are going to talk about Dream Home, which is uh, a movie that you jumped on right away. Yes, um, and. I so where did you first encounter this movie? Uh, because you, you it, it's it's maybe a bit of an exaggeration to say that you brought the film to my attention. I knew of it, but I never had a good excuse to see it until we decided to do this. And I am uh, I'm I'm at your feet. I, I'm so glad that I got to see it. But where where did you first find it? Um, I first found it on Netflix. I remember hearing about it because um, I know the film came out probably 2010 and I probably watched it. It was in 2011, maybe 2012 early. And um, I have a thing for Asian horror movies. I absolutely love them. So uh, usually cause they're, they know how to scare me well. And um, 
when I saw the cover, I was just thinking that this was going to be, even reading the synopsis, I just thought this is going to be just like a thriller, you know? So I just put it on one night and I was completely blown away. And it takes a lot. And as you know, this, this movie, I know we're going to get into it. It is, it is brutal. It's raw. Yeah. Yeah. And it takes a lot to freak me out. It takes a lot for me to cringe. And this movie, it was, yeah, I I was cringing like crazy with some of the scenes. Um, Absolutely love it. I just remember whenever I would ask people if they um, ever seen it. People have never seen it. They never heard of it. They thought I was talking about another movie called Dream Home, but I think that one's an American one. Yeah, well, it's Dream House is with Dream, uh, James Bond, Daniel Craig, mm-hmm. and it's not a very good movie. No, it's really not. I gave that a chance too. That was terrible, but um, this one was was awesome. So yeah, yeah. So it is uh, as you said. It, it's from 2010. Which is 13 years after the handover of Hong Kong back to uh, the People's Republic of China. Mm-hmm. And um, this is only important because it sets the stage for the economic conditions of the film. Yes. Um, that Hong Kong is technically part of China, but it operates under a different set of economic and governmental rules. Mm-hmm. Um, until 2047, I want to say, yeah, it's 50 years. Um, they are not socialist. They are a capitalist part of China. Um, and they continue to kind of operate not entirely independently, but, but certainly independent of mainland China. Mm-hmm. Um, and as the film opens, we are given the, the critical information that since the handover, uh, Real estate prices climb 15%, mm-hmm. whereas the minimum, not minimum wage, median wage of uh, citizens of Hong Kong have risen 1%. So the, the real critical piece of knowledge here is that home prices, and not even homes, they're, you know, apartments that you're buying an apartment in Hong Kong, mm-hmm. uh, but it's yours, you know, you own it as opposed to, to rent or lease, and it is super expensive. Uh, more so, and, and in fact, the, uh, the main character, uh, that we begin with, um, is, uh, Cheng Lai Shung, mm-hmm. uh, as played by Josie Ho, who is the producer of the film as well. Uh, her production company, um, uh, is behind the movie. And it, it starts with her. She is, uh, working a couple of part-time jobs. Uh, one is a kind of bank call center where you call people up and say like, Hey, do you want, you know, this special offer on your account? Uh, and people are not necessarily receptive to that. Uh, we quickly learn, um, you know, it's a call center job. They all suck. It doesn't matter where you are. Mm -hmm. Uh, you can be in Hong Kong or the U S or anywhere and it's just a terrible job. Um, and she also works as a, uh, uh, in a retail store. And, you know, it's, they're basically two very meaning, uh, very traditional, very, um, mundane kind of middle class jobs in theory. Um, and the movie also, uh, gives us, it, it's kind of, the, the narrative of the film is sort of all over the place because it's told 
sort of out of order, basically giving you pieces of information that you need from uh, Chung's past or Chang's past. I'm sorry. I'm putting a U in there when there isn't one. Uh, and so we also are, are treated to the first moment in which she enters this, uh, this high rise and there is a security guard uh, who is, you know, sitting in a little office, has the TV monitors watching, uh, watching the building security. And he gets uh, a bag over the head, plastic bag and a zip tie, which mm-hmm. is super efficient, by the way. Yes. Yeah, so once you have it locked, forget it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, he gets a bag over the head, zip tie around the neck, and then he starts trying to get it off with uh, a knife, mm-hmm. which only means that he is now cutting his own neck. As he's trying to get this zip tie off of him. And it's like the movie is saying right off the bat, like, look, uh, yes, there is going to be some character work. And this this is a movie that has political overtones and all that. But let's not uh, lead you astray. Uh, Some very raw stuff is about to go down in this movie. Mm -hmm. And, And this is, I mean, like, it's a pretty gruesome attack. But it's probably the least gruesome of the film. Uh, and I was really amazed just right off the bat. I was like, oh, well, all right, Dream Home, you have, uh, you have certainly thrown down the gauntlet. Yes. Um, and so uh, we kind of learned that, that Chang has, uh, grown up in Hong Kong and, you know, very, traditional kind of family where uh, she lives with, you know, mom and dad. And there's an uncle that uh, used to be a sailor and now walks to the the bay every day to, uh, to, you know, look out over the waters and, and one presumes sort of reminisce uh, about his old days on the sea. And she kind of makes a promise early on, like, I'm going to get you a place where you can just look out over the water. You don't have to walk every day to the bay and that kind of thing. And and therein lies the roots of the eventual psychosis. <laughs> um, so we also have, like, a friend who's living across the street that she is uh, in, in touch with as a young girl. And... Um, we get a peek at some of the riots that happened around the handover, um, as, you know, there were sort of, you know, leftist leaning, um, citizens that were protesting. And there's also the, the more criminal element of it, which is like, Hey, we want to take over this area and build, you know, like high rises, new modern high rises. And to do that, we got to kick everybody out of their house. And if that means we're going to dump rats and snakes mm-hmm. into their apartment building to get them out, then that's what we're going to do. Uh, which, you know, is terrible, but honestly, you want to, you want to get me out of a place like rats. Yeah. Snakes, maybe, uh, what you got to go with the spiders. What? You just dump bagfuls of spiders into right. a place and I'm out of there. I know, I'm right there with you. Um, I can't with those. Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually had a nightmare like two nights ago that, uh, the, I have a, a, a downstairs, uh, office and, uh, it's got a little futon with a, a couch and whatnot. And, um, that the blanket, uh, that is over that futon was, uh, filled with spiders when I peeled oh. it back. Right. Like, it's my own brain just being a real traitor. 
like, what is the most disturbing thing that you can think of right now? Uh, so now I'm not comfortable in my own home. Oh, uh, sorry. <laughs> but um, so getting back to Chang and her problems, um, which are not spider related at all. She, uh, so as an adult, um, you know, like her friend ends up moving away. The building gets torn down. Um, she then is trying to get a loan for, uh, this, you know, her dream home, the titular dream, dream home. Mm-hmm. Uh, the bank tells her like, we'll give you 70% of the mortgage. And that is, and I think it's what, like 4.9 million it was. That's yeah. What it, yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. And so she, she can get 70% of that, but her, you know, a mortgage, and these are all, you know, Hong Kong dollars, um, <laughs> that it is $15,000 a month, uh, for the mortgage and she's still short. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and that's, we learned that's why she's working these two jobs and that like, she is purely focused on, I need to build up enough money to get this place for myself. And th- she has a, a lover, a married lover that we see, um, who I don't, at first, I don't know that I thought he was sleazy necessarily. I mean, he's not great. Don't get me wrong. He's still an adulterer and all that. But there's a lot of talk in this movie, even among the female characters as, as they're discussing things mm-hmm. about mistresses. And, you know, like one of them is joking about dating another married guy and uh, that kind of thing. And I don't know if, if that's necessarily a, a cultural thing, um, but it seemed weird to me. That there's just this very open conversation about like having all these affairs. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, was there? I don't know. Did you did you bring anything to that or? That's the like I kind of had those same thoughts as well. Like I just thought it was really weird. You're talking about the pregnant woman too, right? Who was? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. we'll get there, but yeah, yeah, yeah. That we're you know essentially we're talking to a lot of female characters who mm-hmm. all seem to either be married to someone who's having an affair or they're having an affair with a married man. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is not the, the only uh, film that, you know, that I've seen Hong Kong wise where they do that. So I don't know. I think that maybe it's a culture thing. Cause I've noticed it in other ones. Yeah. And it, it, it seems foreign to our sensibilities or mine anyway, that it would be not necessarily that affairs happen. I mean, I'm not naive, but that it's talked about so openly. Yeah. And, and is almost a source of like teasing someone, you know, <laughs> like, uh, uh, al- almost making fun of their pick of married men with, <laughs> with whom to have an affair. Uh, yeah, it's really strange. But, um, so, uh, then we're cutting back and forth in time between these events in Ching's life. As we learn, like, why it is that she's so insistent on, uh, on, on getting a, a place for herself. Um, but it's cut pretty smartly, um, with the scenes of her breaking into this high rise. And right. we don't really know why. We just know she is. And the, her first stop after the security guard is the, um, Apartment was at one A, I think, is the the first one she goes to, which is the 
um, the two women in an apartment, one of whom is pregnant. Mm-hmm. Um, and she opens the door and the first lady, she takes out pretty quickly. Yeah. She didn't have a chance. <laughs> no, it was, yeah, it's pretty savage. And, and the, the more transgressive moment though comes. And this was the moment where I thought I was not prepared for, nor was I expecting what dream home was bringing to the table. And this is the moment where Chang realizes that there's a second woman in the apartment and this woman is very pregnant. Right. And, uh, she, you know, uh, of course starts to fight back and Chang lays her out and she lands on her stomach. Yeah. And then you see blood mixed with what I assume to be umbilical fluid. Mm-hmm. Um, starts seeping out, which is gross. And then, I mean, I know it's natural, but not in that context. Um, and then, uh, then our, our pregnant lady, um, in Chang, you know, specialty fashion gets a bag over her head and the, the zip tie Mm -hmm. only this time she takes it a step further. And it's one of those vacuum deals that sucks all the air out of like a package for storage. Yeah. Yeah. And it just like, you know, sucks all the air out of it. And all of a sudden you've got this kind of, you know, air sealed face of a pregnant lady staring back at you as she's suffocating to death. And it is hard to watch. Mm-hmm. It I, was. Yeah. Felt the word. That, that was like the first uh, with the security guard. I'm not going to lie. I, I didn't really cringe when he was like cutting at his neck. It was kind of like, oh, oh, whoa. Because, you know, he was struggling for, well, choking for a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, once I saw her and it just like her face and even she was just trying, but it was just she was done. And that made me uh, that made me cringe. Yeah, it's rough. Mm-hmm. Um, it Like I said, it's, it, there's something transgressive about it. Like you're not supposed to show pregnant women getting harmed in movies. Right. And, and if you do, then you got to save the baby. You know, that's the, that's the, uh, yeah. <laughs> like if the, if the mother dies, it's like, oh, but we saved the child, you know? Um, not this time though. This is just dead. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, um, then the, uh, the man comes in, um, the, and this is her, like she is his mistress, if I if I have this correct, the pregnant one. Yeah, or is or is it that she was complaining about him being out with a mistress? I get that confused. I think that she she was complaining about him being out. Right, right. Mistress. All right, so he's coming home and sees uh, his his pregnant wife um, all vacuum sealed up from the neck up, as well as a fair amount of blood around her. And he rushes over to her, and then there is uh, a battle between Chang and this gentleman mm-hmm. that is, again, really savage. Like, this is a movie that, it, it, like, it it makes this weird tightrope walk of being realistic in its violence and then going way over the top at times. Right. And And this was a moment, like, this is the first time, too, that, you know, we see Chang kind of 
get scratched up and, and start, uh, <laughs> maybe seeing the uh, repercussions of her decision to just start murdering folk. Um, but you know, uh, there, there's a, a big struggle and, um, they're fighting back and forth initially with a golf club. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, at the end of the day, uh, our, our champion Chang is once again on top, having murdered three people, including a baby in one apartment. Right. And, uh, Already, uh, as I was watching this, I was thinking, like, man, this movie's really racking up a body count. Mm-hmm. You know? I mean, we don't see the baby, but you still got to count that. Um, that's just my math, though. That's no, horror math. Exactly. Like, in some ways, you know, as much as I, I love the movie, I'm just surprised that it didn't get banned. Like, maybe that's why it's no longer on Netflix, because it was on there. I tried to, um, I looked for it last night, just, you know, wanted to, like, watch it refresher but no it's no longer there so maybe they uh they, i don't know they took it off because of that because it is pretty it's pretty out there yeah probably somebody from georgia stumbled across that and wrote a letter and was like hey did you guys know you were doing a movie you were hosting a movie where a pregnant lady gets suffocated to death with a vacuum so <laughs> back, back to the movie at hand. Um, so Chang, um, we, you know, again, we're kind of cutting back in the narrative. You know, we see her just murdering people and she's kind of our hero. So we're left wondering like, what's this all about? And then we get, uh, some more backstory, which is that she is, um, uh, her mother dies mm-hmm. and, now she and uh she lives with her father and is taking care of him and then we find out that her father has mesothelioma mm-hmm. uh most likely brought on by the fact that he was in construction for years and years and the doctor says like hey it's you know it, it probably ingestion of dust and uh asbestos and and that kind of thing and so you know he's he's going to need treatment or he's going to die and then, uh, God, this whole movie is just Chang getting kicked in the teeth. We find out, uh, sometimes literally, uh, we find out, though, that the life insurance policy that Chang has for her father is null and void, or at least in terms of treating the mesothelioma, which is the big thing, mm-hmm. because her father had gone to the doctor before and essentially been diagnosed and didn't reveal that mm-hmm. so that the insurance company issued this policy with a, a known pre-existing condition in place that was never reported. So their attitude is like, Hey, you, you know, you never told us about the mesothelioma. He's got it. So we're not, we're not paying for that. Right. Um, and you know, it's cancer. So obviously the bills are outrageous for, mm-hmm. for that kind of treatment. Um, she goes to her, uh, the, her lover, the, the married man with whom she is, uh, uh, conducting an affair and mm-hmm. asks him for the money. And he's like, you know, my wife's kind of watching the money right now and it's not a great time, but I'll help you out. But Hey, while we're here, how about a blowjob? Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, classy guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's hard for me to completely get on the side of Chang in this film. 
because she does wantonly murder a lot of people. <laughs> but the movie, I think, does a fine job of explaining her motivation. Right. And and that ultimately leads to a moment where her father is having an attack and she's got the little breathing unit that she can place over his face to uh, to get um, the relief. You know, I, I, I'm not sure exactly what medicine it is that you, you use for that, but some some kind of uh, um, uh, like an inhaler sort mm-hmm. of thing, like an asthma situation. And she doesn't give it to him. She just sits on the bed and holds it in her hand while he essentially chokes to death. Right. And in fairness, we also get a flashback in the film that shows her father being not abusive necessarily, but kind of quick tempered and, and that sort of thing. I don't know that he deserved to die for that, but, um, but she murders him anyway. Uh, it's more, sort of a murder by omission. She just doesn't save him. And so then we cut back to the sort of present day, which is her in this apartment building. And now she goes to apartment number two. Which is, uh, at, at the time, it's, what, three guys? Two and, girls. Three guys, two girls. They're, they're partying. They've got the music up loud. Uh, Zena, they're smoking the marijuana cigarettes. <laughs> which, which we know is not good in a horror film. Oh, uh, that's when you know bad things. And yeah. girls sucking on each other's faces. One almost vomits. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, it's quite the event. Um, and Chang shows up, and one of my favorite effects in the movie, and the movie it has great effects work. It does. Um, but one of my favorites is during this scene, she ends up um, stabbing a dude in the neck with his own bong. Mm-hmm. I and- remember that part. And and my, my the thing I love so much about it is you see the blood flowing into the bong, so that blood is just kind of swirling around in the base of it while it's you know extending from his neck and he's flailing around, <laughs> right? Which I thought that was pretty rad. And then uh, the other guy, she completely opens up, mm-hmm. uh, and his intestines spill out on the floor, uh, but. That doesn't kill him. It just kind of takes him out of action. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so we've got... All right, so one dude's dead after being stabbed in the neck with the bong. One dude's on the floor not really doing much because he's kind of holding his intestines in. And and you get a pretty good look at it, too. It It is gnarly. And you know what I love about it is that I remember I was not expecting that because he was the one who opened up the door for her. And... Uh, wasn't he like, and then he just got his stomach. Yeah. He like stabbed it and he was just sitting there and then he backed away and then it's just falling out. It was, it was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And she, and the whole time it's worth noting, she's got her father's old tool belt. Mm-hmm. And so she's got like hammers and screwdrivers and these zip ties. Like she has come prepared. And, uh, so with the two dudes out of action, the girl that has been mostly passed out, um, so Cheng is going to take care of her and she comes to long enough for them to have a bit of a scuffle in the bathroom mm-hmm. and, uh, she starts slamming the girl's head 
into the toilet, which breaks off like she is doing it with such force that she just cracks the toilet entirely mm-hmm. as she takes this girl out. And it is again, incredibly like violent and, you know, just the right side of being realistic where it's realistic enough to be convincing, but there's something about it that's heightened enough so that you don't feel completely gross watching it. Mm-hmm. Um, although there have been like, if you read reviews of the film, there are those who will say like it, it, it ends up just being tasteless for its depravity. Um, but I don't think so. I, you know, I think it, it, it's writing that line and, um, Josie O, uh, or Ho rather, um, who had, who produced the film and stars in the, in the film, she actually, uh, wanted it to be even more over the top. Yes. I read that. And, uh, because it was, uh, what the story of Ricky was the thing that she cited saying like, well, if they can do that, we can do that. And that seems to be. That was a pretty awesome movie. I mean, it was a little cheesy, you know, but it was, it was a great movie. Yeah. And, you know, I think she was just, from a purely business point of view, Mm -hmm. you know, she's saying like, hey, as a producer, I want to make horror movies because that's what's profitable. And this is one that was way over the top. And that's kind of what I want to do. Um, meanwhile, the, uh, uh, the director, uh, Peng Ho Chung is, uh, was was kind of pushing for realism, and and that led to some static later in the production. But you know, mm-hmm. we'll talk about that later. Um, so after we get the initial violence of that scene, then we cut back to sort of the you know the events that led up to this, and we have uh, Chang who her, has gotten um, an insurance payout. From her, the death of her father, which, you know, I'm sure was real natural causes and that kind of thing. Cause she didn't, you know, zip tie her, her old man, like she did the security guard or nothing. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, instead she, uh, is going to take this money. She's going to buy this new place. Uh, she goes to her, her real estate agent and it's like, Hey, I've got the money now. Tell the, the owners of this apartment I want to buy that I'm ready to do this. Mm-hmm. And, they set a meeting. She ends up getting stuck in traffic. Mm-hmm. And in between the time of her, the initial meeting and, and her actually arriving at the office, there has been all this news coming out about like, Hey, you know, real estate prices are on the rise again and blah, blah, blah. And the owners decide that they're not going to sell at least not at that price. Mm-hmm. And Chang has, uh, one might say a bit of a reaction to that news. Um, others might call it a, a grade A meltdown mm-hmm. uh, as she starts screaming at the owners like, no, no, you've got to listen to me. I've got, you know, you've got to sell to me. We, I'm sorry I was late. And uh, so, but they don't, you know, they kind of walk out of there and that leads us to the point where we understand like, oh, after all of this, uh, you know, questionable morality that, that Chang has displayed throughout the film. Um, she has reached a point where she's just kind of off her nut. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think is a scientific term. And she ends up going to the apartment high rise, uh, that the people that she wants to buy the apartment live in, but she's not going to their apartment. 
And that was the first time I realized, like, oh, I finally understand what's going on now. Mm-hmm. You know, she's going to kill all these people and then so, and then say, like, hey, do you really want to live in a building that has all these murders in it? Right. <laughs> and it's, it's, I mean, as sick and twisted as it sounds, I would never do this. Never. But it was kind of a good plan. Like, I mean, it worked. It worked out for her. Yeah. And and what I'm hearing is you're saying I wouldn't do it, but in the back of your head you're like, you know, let's just file it away. No. <laughs> I don't think I have it in me. I don't think uh cuz she was she was hardcore, like she was ready to battle. Oh yeah. No, I think that if I just get punched in the stomach once, I'm out. And uh that's it for me, you know, but she I don't know, like I was actually going to um if, if you don't mind, go back to something. Yeah, by all means. Um, in the beginning, you know, it's kind of like, you know, when, well, once we learn about the reasoning why she's doing this, it's kind of like, I felt like the movie is kind of like a twisted joke because it's kind of like, it's, it's true because that's how it is even here in America. You know, if, if you want like something nice sometimes, like a really beautiful property with, you know, a wonderful view. Sometimes you have to pay a price that's extreme, you know, and I felt for her even with those two terrible jobs, because I think majority of us has all had like a horrible job. And I, unfortunately, I used to work in retail where you have to go around stalking customers, you know, oh, that's from this. And hey, that's on sales. Like they didn't even touch it. They're just looking at it, you know, so it's like I, I felt for her and even with people hanging up in her ear, like in her ear all day long, you know, but she was still trying to be positive. Even with all the things that was going on in her life, she was still just trying to make her dream come true. And I just love the fact that she's just like this hardworking person. And it kind of just seems like, you know, that saying when people say about, you know, nice guy, or, you know, nice guys finish last. Even though I know that she's not a guy. But, you know, that's something that, you know, comes to mind. I mean, I was with her up until she, like, murdered her dad because that was just so <laughs> right. ridiculous. And, but, you know, even when she uh, she promised her parents, you know, that. And, you know, I also just remember just that crammed apartment that they lived in and she had to share a room with her brother and I remember she got into some kind of fight and then her dad came in and pretty much just like slapped the crap out of her. Yeah. Yeah. So he fun. gives her a good one. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, you know, I, I was with her for that, you know, like I, I felt for her then, um, as I said, up until she killed her dad because, but then that's, that's how, you know, like she's just not like a, a regular person. Like she's, she's crazy, you know? And, um, even though it's like, I, I get it, you know, she's unlike her, friends and you know co-workers where they would always go out and you know she wasn't spending she wasn't spending and she was really just trying to save it's i felt for her i really really did so then once she cracked pretty much and she went on this uh road to murder um it it was it's it's terrible but i'm not gonna lie i kind of enjoyed it i enjoyed watching it um there was some parts where it was just like, whoa, that's that's pretty creative. You know, I've never seen that before, um, especially with the pregnant woman with the Ziploc bag. Well, it wasn't a Ziploc bag, but, you know, with the bag. Yeah, yeah. It was crazy. And um, I actually loved also the couple who was just, you know, having some sexy time together. And the way she went behind the guy's 
back and she just stabbed him and it went straight through. Yeah. And the girl didn't even know what was going on, just having the time of her life. And um, even with the girl, I'm sorry, I'm just like jumping ahead. No, okay. no, no, no. Because that's where we are in this movie now is is her taking out the, the well, not last two, because this movie can't stop. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the, you know, the blade through the chest. Yes. Ugh. That was awesome. I've like I've never seen that and it, it, it was so clean and it looked realistic, you know. You know how sometimes with some horror movies it just splatters out everywhere. Um and just another thing, just random, just throwing it out there, you know, you know for like a lot of Asian movies, particularly not even just horror movies, because I watch a lot of um Korean dramas. I don't know, it's just I love it. Anyway, I watch a lot of those and I just noticed just we'll just stick with the horror that sometimes with the Asian horror movies, it's like you have certain situations or certain characters where it's just like they're always just staring off somewhere. And then you find out later, oh, it meant that he wanted oranges. Like, what? How did you know that? Like, they'll just give you like random, just throw random things in there and you don't really understand what's going on, you know, or sometimes they'll have like those, um, You've seen those movies, especially with the Japanese ones where the girl has the hair in her face and, you know, that typical one. So I feel like this one was, no, it's not Japanese, but this one was like a different kind of a horror slasher, like really extreme. So it's it's a slasher movie that is making a point, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it does, you know, a, a, if you compare it to, you know, sort of the classic Western slashers of, uh, you know, Halloween and Friday the 13th and, and those sorts of films, you know, you just have this sort of faceless killer that is going around, you know, killing nubile teens and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And, and this is a movie that does take the time to explain, like, yeah, the massacre that you're seeing on screen right now, there's a reason for it. Right. And, you know, I... <laughs> I mean, I'm with you. I, I totally, I totally get it. You know, she is the main character of our movie. She is, uh, the movie spends a lot of time showing you just how beat down Chang is every step of the way. You know, like you said, there's this conversation on the bus where, uh, her coworkers and friends are like, Hey, let's, you know, we're going to take off to Japan for a weekend. Why don't you come with us? Mm-hmm. And, and she declines it because, you know, as you said, she's saving up the money for for her dream home. And they're like, you know what? It, it, you're never going to get that. It, it's too much money. It's not. It, it's kind of not for people like us. It's just not working class people. So why not spend a little money and just enjoy your life as opposed to denying yourself everything just for this kind of pie in the sky goal? Mm-hmm. But, you know, Chang won't be outdone. You know, like you can deny her and deny her. And at some point she's going to strap on a tool belt and take care of business. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, it, it's really good in that way. And, and when we're in the bedroom, once we get the, the death of the, of the male, uh, part of the couple that that's getting down in the bedroom, um, the girl at first doesn't realize what's happened. And I presume this is, this is me being gross. But I presume that her reaction, like when the blood kind of splatters on her, Mm -hmm. I think she thinks that's semen. Yeah. And then realizes like, oh no, there is someone else in this room. Mm -hmm. 
that was blood. I'm in trouble. And she kind of presents the biggest problem for Chang in the movie. Because mm-hmm. there's a lot of struggle. Like, you know, the girl goes under the bed and Chang is chasing her under there. And the girl stabs her in the in the ankle, mm-hmm. uh, which is pretty gnarly. It is. And, uh, you know, we've got, I mean, a real kind of battle royale scenario here where they are just kicking and punching and stabbing their way. Until uh, Chang finally jams uh, like a slat from the bed mm-hmm. into her mouth. <laughs> Yep. That was crazy. It was. It was so insane. And it's again so well done that mm-hmm. when it happens, there's it's not like, oh well that effect looks stupid. It's just holy crap. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh Dream Home, you treat me so good. Uh. <laughs> like the, just from the opening, like that's that's how you know it's going to be a violent, awesome movie. Yeah, yeah. So um, then, so Chang believes she's taking care of everything. She's, you know, dealing with the fact that, um, her Achilles tendon, if not cut, has been wounded because she got a knife through that part of her ankle. Mm-hmm. Um, so she has to yank that out, which is pretty gnarly. And then she wraps that up and she's about to take off. Except there's a knock at the door. <gasps> <laughs> and, and this was the point as I was watching the movie, I was like, you know, at some point, I guess they were like, look, we need a bigger body count because we're only at, what, nine at this point, maybe. <laughs> so we should probably murder a few more people. Um, and it's actually a really great moment because it's, it's the cops, the police have shown up responding to a call about the level of music. Mm-hmm. Not about all the screaming and bloodshed. <laughs> so, so the cops show up and Chang finally answers the door and, you know, she's roughed up at this point. Like, you know, her, her legs jacked up. She's got the big cut on her cheek and, and, uh, she looks rough, but, uh, she says like, Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't hear. I was in bed. And they're like, you can sleep through all this loud music. And she's like, yeah, I'll turn it down. It, it's cool. And, <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, hey, how about we come in and, and take a look around? She's like, no, no, it's okay. And then behind her, one of the cops notices that the girl with the, the bed slat shoved in her mouth oh, yeah. is not dead, but is just walking around with this big piece of wood protruding from her mouth <laughs> in her altogether, mind you. Yep. And yeah, and the cops bust in and then it just becomes this... Like almost Looney Tunes esque series of uh like just accidents and like the the girl uh it, with the bed slat is holding a knife and they're telling her to put the knife down and then uh the dude with the guts is making a play as well <laughs> and like at the end of it uh you know basically everyone gets shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the exception of um, the guy with his guts hanging out. So the, the cops end up getting killed. Uh, the girl with the bed slat is dead now, too. Like, the cops shoot her. Mm-hmm. And then one of the cops ends up uh, shooting the other cop 
if memory serves. Because mm-hmm. this all happens super fast. It's just like, <laughs> bam, bam, bam. And then all of a sudden, like, Chang is standing there, having done almost nothing at this point, um, or at least in this moment, and just all these people around her have killed each other. Um, but she ends up uh, with a gun and is going to shoot the guy holding his guts in and then decides, like, oh, no, you know what would be smarter here? She puts the gun in his hand and then forces, uh, tries to force the gun into his mouth. He won't let her. So she grabs his guts <laughs> to make him scream so she could get the gun in and then forces him to pull the trigger to, to shoot himself. And, Remember that. Yeah. And then she, you know, kind of uh, gets out of there, uh, finally. And, so the last scene, uh, well, not last scene, but the, the next scene in the movie is her um, getting a call from the real estate agent saying, hey, the offer that you made are the, uh, the, these homeowners uh, or the apartment owners are now willing to accept it. And she's like, you know what? There were a bunch of murders there last night. I'm, <laughs> I'm not sure I feel safe. Mm-hmm. How about you tell them that I'm going to pay $1.3 million less and you call me back when they accept it. Yeah. And it's like, if nothing else, Chang is self-actualized in this movie. Like, she is the person she is set out to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she ends up getting the apartment. And and as always uh, with the story of Chang. Oh, and um, she also uh, tells off the guy that she'd been having the affair with, um, you know, who... Comes up, uh, uh, drives up at, while she's on the street, and they have a quick conversation. But the the real moral of that story is she doesn't need him anymore. <laughs> I mean, I thought that she never did, actually. But because it was, I was actually hoping that she was going to, like, kill him. <laughs> yes. Well. Well, yeah. Now, now that we've established her willingness to murder, sure. Yeah, I like if he had gone as well, I would not have been against it. But I also understand like that is much more a like a murder you can tie to her as yeah. opposed to the other ones. But, That's true. Okay, smart thinking. You know, I think about murder a lot. Um, oh my god! <laughs> but uh, but the last scene is her moving in. Mm-hmm. And it's the the bittersweet nature of it is like her bed is a little bit too big for the bedroom that she she's in now. And then as she's looking out over the bay, as she has her view, she has her home now. And the last thing you hear in this movie is a news report about the uh, financial meltdown in the real estate market in the United States starting to spread and become a global crisis. Mm-hmm. Kind of giving the impression that at the end of this movie, that yes, she's achieved her, her uh, you know, her goals of, of getting her dream home, but that maybe that's not going to last. Right. Um, and that's, that's the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. Of uh, man, are you kidding me? No. Uh, she finally achieved the lifelong goal. Yeah, yeah. No, she gets her dream home, and <laughs> it only takes because I, I was trying to do this count. Okay, so she kills uh, her mother is the only person in this movie that dies of natural causes, mm-hmm. um, and God bless her for it. She she kills the security guard 
three people in the first apartment, five people, five more people in the second apartment, and the two cops. Mm-hmm. So she murders 11 people if you don't count the baby. Right. That's a healthy body count for any movie. Mm-hmm. That and- is. <laughs> Much less uh, a, a film about somebody who just wants a nice apartment. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's it's pretty fantastic. The story of modern Hong Kong begins, as all good stories do, with opium. After being an independent island all through the centuries, despite its nearness to mainland China's southern shores, Hong Kong had emerged as an incredibly valuable trade center. By the early 1800s, Great Britain had become very dependent on China for tea, which apparently is a type of beverage people from the UK enjoy. In addition to tea, Great Britain also loved colonizing countries, an important tidbit for later in this story. So, this heavy reliance on China for tea led to a massive trade imbalance, despite the fact that China did import a lot of luxury items from Great Britain, like clocks and watches and that kind of thing. The one thing the Chinese people demanded, and Great Britain had in spades, was opium. At the time, the early 19th century, growing opium was legal in Great Britain and, by extension, its colonies in India. Essentially, British vessels would take opium grown on its soil to Chinese coasts, where middlemen would take the opium and trade for silver especially, and sell it to the populace. In 1839, the Daoguang Emperor was feeling some pressure to actually legalize and tax opium, but he was far more concerned by rampant addiction, not to mention all the silver that was now flowing out of China instead of in. So, the Emperor appointed Commissioner Lin Zizou to take care of the problem. Lin Zizou first told British officials what he thought of the trade, which was not very highly at all, then began seizing opium as it came into the country. Zizou confiscated about 2.66 million pounds of the stuff, which upset Great Britain, who didn't see a dime in trade for all this sweet, sweet opium. China also blocked trade and seized a few ships, confining British nationals to their quarters. Great Britain took this with typical European decorum. They bombed the shit out of China from the sea. Known as gunboat diplomacy, the superior naval and gunnery firepower led to a quick defeat in what was eventually known as the First Opium War. Yes, there was a sequel. In 1842, the Treaty of Nanking reopened five ports of trade with Great Britain and granted them rights to Hong Kong. With Hong Kong now in western hands, the island was rapidly industrialized, along with the west. Missionaries began preaching Christianity to the population, and Hong Kong quickly became a very modern banking and trade epicenter. So things were going pretty swimmingly, and the island boasted a population of about 1.6 million people by the 1940s, when its neighbor, Japan, decided they went in on the empire business too. Japan invaded and occupied Hong Kong from December 1941 to August 1945. During that time, rations were strictly controlled and reduced to feed the Japanese army, leading many to flee Hong Kong and many to starve. By the time Chinese and British forces freed the island, only about 600,000 residents remained. That population was going to get a big boost, however, as mainland China transitioned to the People's Republic of China and began instituting measures to both socialize and modernize the country. Immigrants came first in 1949 and again in the late 50s and early 60s during the Great Leap Forward, a push from the Chinese Communist regime to move from an agrarian economy to a more industrial one, actually making it illegal for citizens to own private farms. 
During the 1950s, and fueled by the influx of skilled and cheap labor, Hong Kong became a lucrative place for foreign companies to do business. Manufacturing exploded. You may even remember any number of items bearing the logo, Made in Hong Kong. Unlike many Asian nations, Hong Kong saw a real upswing in women's rights too. During the 1970s, equal pay for men and women was made a real thing, where before, a woman would often lose her pension as soon as she got married. Her job title would change from permanent to temporary. Some women were even fired on the event of their marriage. So, Hong Kong was a happening place, a cultural and economic stalwart. And then came Margaret Thatcher. Hoping to increase relations with the People's Republic, Thatcher agreed to the Sino-British Joint Declaration, which included the handoff of Hong Kong to mainland China in 1997. The idea behind it was summed up in the notion of one country, two systems, in which Hong Kong could maintain its capitalist economy while still falling under the umbrella ownership of China. During this time, the people of Hong Kong continued to live reasonably similar lives, enjoying things like freedom of speech and the parliamentary system until 2047, in which China can institute whatever type of rule it sees fit to establish. Despite these looming changes, Hong Kong remains a thriving economic center and thus is subject to global economic woes, like, for example, a housing boom and bust, which leads us back to Dream Home. So, um, I yesterday, I, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine, and I was talking about uh, doing this show. And I said one of the reasons that I like doing it um, is because uh, Asian... Asian films in general, but horror films in particular, because that's that's the movies I love, um, that it presents elements of horror in a context that I'm not familiar with mm-hmm. or, or, or as familiar with. So, um, you know, a movie like, say, Juan is a ghost story, mm-hmm. but it, it presents it in a way that is different than a Western presentation of a ghost story you know it just comes from a different tradition um and i and that somehow makes it scarier to me because it's something i'm unfamiliar with it 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 adds an element of unpredictability i think and the point being uh before i kick this over to you is that the thing that most impressed me about dream home i think is that it's it operates as a slasher movie kind of Mm-hmm. but it's all in the context of this very real and very real world uh, scenario that is speaking to um, a cultural crisis of, you know, how can, how can someone in Hong Kong buy their, uh, afford their own home? And like you said, there's a universe uh, universality to that as well that, you know, we all feel that, you know, I mean, no matter what job you have, if it's a middle-class job, it, it's still very difficult to, you know, do something as simple as own a home. Um, but I really find it kind of refreshing in, in Asian films or like you said about, you know, Korean dramas, there's the moment of like, I, you know, I want oranges, uh, that, (laughs) that, that it just presents things that you're familiar with in a way that is unfamiliar. And that somehow makes it feel fresh and new in a way that it's hard to get from a Western film these days. Right. No, I, I definitely agree with you. And I think that that's, that's what draws me in to, um, well, with Asian movies is that it, I'm not, as much as I love horror, you, you know that, um, 
with American horror, majority of them, I'm not always getting those elements that I feel that the Asian horror offers. Yeah, I mean, and this movie, too, feels... I hesitate to say this because I feel like I'm qualifying it, but it feels smarter than a uh, traditional slasher because, like I said, it feels like it's about something. Right. It does. It really is a, a, a smart one, a smart slasher, as you said. See, I know um, I was just reading some reviews like on Rotten Tomato and just some other ones and just with people saying how, oh, it's too smart. What? Like, you know, so it's 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 still entertaining. It's still... It still deliver. It delivers more than what more than what I expected, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. It almost doesn't because of how good of a slasher it is. It doesn't need to be as smart as it is. It just makes the movie that much better, you know. <laughs> so, you know, now uh, when I watch other other movies of this type, not necessarily you know the story of a a woman in Hong Kong trying to find a place to live, but just it, you know, I. I a real world killer slash slasher movie uh, that, it, it, you know, it raises the bar. It, it means that you, you as a viewer can expect that there's going to be an element of social commentary as well as, you know, a board slats shoved in a girl's mouth, which mm-hmm. is pretty awesome. But, uh, but I, I walked away from this kind of enjoying thinking about, how this movie also has much more to say than just like, Hey, aren't these effects cool? And isn't this lady crazy? Right. Right. Um, a couple of other things I noticed that I definitely want to get your opinion on, uh, is there is throughout this movie, a lot of talk about Korea in not necessarily glowing terms. Oh yeah. I noticed. Yeah. That it's, it it really is uh again i think a, a you know a very specific cultural thing mm-hmm. of uh you know people in hong kong uh maybe not thinking that koreans are the most um you know advanced or right. something mm-hmm. and it, that was kind of surprising because uh i don't know i you know i'm i i guess as a uh, a western guy it's mm-hmm. it's tough to look at these cultures that seem to have so much in common as having their own rivalries. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty fascinating to me. I, I noticed that as well. Um, even in other movies and in shows, like they, like they all just seem to always just take shots at each other. Um, I don't know what it is. I don't, I guess because they're so similar then you know, they're always in competition mode. If that makes sense, um, actually did, I, I won't say her name, but I have a Japanese friend and, um, I remember I was telling her, yeah, I was watching Korean drama and she was just offended. I'm not saying that they're all like this, but you know, she was just offended. So I don't know. I, I don't know too much about that. I just noticed though, even with some Korean dramas that I watch, there's always just like little shots that they take. So I don't know. I don't know about that. That makes sense. Yeah, it's it, it's really weird. I mean, it, it would be like watching, um, uh, you know, an American slasher that just threw in a lot of anti-Canadian sentiment. You know, <laughs> you're like, wait a second, where's that coming from? Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, look, let's face it, they're 
just a bunch of maple monkeys up there. Um, that's, I'm going to start Canada bashing on this show. That's, that's my goal. Um, so I thought that was really interesting. Another thing I thought was really, um, unique about the perspective of this movie, um, or something that just kind of taught me something is that Hong Kong seems to be a, uh, a predominantly Christian culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a lot, you know, the, uh, Chang is a very young girl is seen praying a lot and it's a very traditional Christian prayer. You know, it is father, son, and Holy ghost kind of stuff. Right. And, you know, mainland China, of course, has no religion. Um, and in fact, religion is outlawed. In fact, here's, here's a little, uh, a little industry insider information for you, Zena. Okay. Um, we were uh my my writing partner the guy who directed the the movie i wrote um we were looking at some foreign investors at one point for another project mm-hmm. and one of the rule and and right now there's a lot of uh a chinese investment in american films of all of all tiers you know from very indie films all the way up to you know like iron man 3 and stuff like that but China will not fund a movie uh, that has ghosts in it. Uh, that anything that presumes an afterlife and and that sort of thing. Like, you can do monsters all day long. But if you talk about, like, anything that's kind of spiritual, in, even in a horror context, that the the government is not comfortable with that. And I thought that was interesting in relation to Hong Kong, which again, technically part of China, but it's its own thing, you know, it was a British colony for years and years and years. Um, and that, that, the, the fact that that country or not country, but that Hong Kong is still a religious place, even though the country that they belong to is not struck me as being really almost kind of schizophrenic. You know, and, and I, I wonder like once that final not handoff, but once they fall under the official government of China in 2047, at that point, does that go away? You know, like uh, Hong Kong is a very specific cultural identity. Um, you know, like all the Hong Kong movies of, you know, when we were kids and stuff that you saw, like all the Kung Fu stuff that came out of Hong Kong that I wonder, I wonder how that will be affected. Right. And, you know, and I'm not looking for an answer out of you. I'm not, I'm not put, giving you a test or, or, no, or no, nothing. No, but. I'm, <laughs> I mean, I'm glad that you're not because I would fail because I had no idea about that's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, next time somebody talks about, uh, uh, Chinese, uh, investment in American films, be on the lookout. Uh, uh, because that's, that, that is something that don't happen much, but, um, so, uh, well, you know, obviously Chinese investment happens a bunch, but just not in like ghost films. Uh, I think zombies are kind of, I, I think zombies are okay. Ghosts are not. It, <laughs> it, the, the rules are real weird. Uh, but, um, so a little bit about the production of this movie. Um, the, the film was, it came out in 2010, but it was actually, completed prior to that there was just a dispute between 
the production company and uh, the director, Peng Ho Chung, um, about kind of the final form of this movie. You know, as, as we kind of alluded to earlier, um, Peng Ho Chung w- was sort of pushing for this more realistic uh, angle on the film. And, and the production company was uh, going the other way, looking for something that was a little more extreme. And, and the movie is this weird blend of those things, I think. Um, but, I mean... Despite, well, in a, another big criticism of it, speaking of, you know, this movie being of two minds, is another big criticism you read about the film is that the movie is both a satire of, you know, sort of this real estate uh, situation in Hong Kong and also a slasher. And one of the criticisms levied against the movie is that it never strikes a comfortable balance between the two. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't necessarily agree with that. I think it works, but I'm, I'm wondering, do you ever feel like as you're watching this movie, do you ever feel like there's a wrong note that's being hit in terms of the tone? Honestly, no, I felt that, I don't know. I felt like they did a good job with it. I don't, I don't, I don't really have anything negative to say about the movie, to be honest. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat. I like, I, I understand where that criticism comes from, mm-hmm. but I don't necessarily think that that's accurate. You know, you know, like, um, it, it's odd to me that you, you, it, it's sort of like you were saying about the movie being criticized for being too smart, mm-hmm. you know, that I don't think it's necessarily wrong to expect that the movie has to be one thing or the other. Uh, and maybe going back a little bit to our, our, you know, our mutual love of the, the movie house, that that's a movie that's all kinds of weird stuff blended together. Right. Um, and this movie seems to have a real clarity of purpose, more so even than house does, cause mm-hmm. house gets a little goofy, but, uh, dream home is very, uh, like, I always feel at, when I'm watching this movie that it, it knows where it's going and it's just a question of how it's getting there. Mm-hmm. And I, I just don't think it makes a lot of wrong turns there. Um, I really do find the movie to be just as a whole, um, like a, a fantastic movie to watch. I feel like we're trying to sell people on watching it, but seriously, people should watch this movie. They really should. Yeah. I mean, as I've been watching it, um, I can't. It, you know, I, like I said, I'm in the same boat you are where I, I don't have anything really negative to say about the film other than it spoils me for other movies that try to do the same thing. Like, you know, now I've got the, the gold standard of that kind of darkly comic slasher movie. Um, and, and again, presented in a cultural context that I'm not entirely familiar with. And part of the joy of watching the movie was to get that perspective of the production on, you know, the current situation in Hong Kong or current situation as of five years ago. Um, yeah, I just, I, I really, really, really like this movie. Yeah. I'm uh, right with you. Um, what, what other thoughts do you have on it before we, uh, we say sayonara to dream home? Well, sure. I'm, I was going to try to convince, the listeners, uh, why they should check this film out. If that's cool with you. By all means, you, uh, you're preaching to the choir here, but you okay. sell, you sell the audience hard. Um, okay. So this movie, it, it just overall, it does a great job showing you the story behind Chang's 
murdering spree. I'm not saying it's right, guys. However, <laughs> it's what what makes it amazing is that the fact that as the viewer, it's kind of satisfying to see her do that. Um, you know, especially when we find out, you know, her motive behind it, even though it's psychotic, um, we can just see how her dream home obsession pretty much controls her. It's like, as a viewer, you are able to somehow, some sick way, um, to understand her motives. And, you know, with all the hardships that she's, that she's been through, um, mentally, physically, uh, it's just, it's just something that you, you kind of have sympathy for her. And just overall, just with this movie, it's well done. The death scenes, in my opinion, are, are the best. And I feel like I've seen like, you know, some really brutal movies in my lifetime. And I feel like this is top five, top five, if not even like top three, it's up there. So if you are someone, you know, where you absolutely love just twisted and really brutal movies and this is for you, this is definitely, you know, not for someone if you have a weak stomach or you're easily offended. Okay. Um, even with that rule that you said about with the, with the pregnant woman and, you know, either she can survive or the babies, like one of them have to survive. Right. So, you know, keep in mind. None of them survives, guys. And, you know, it's it hurts as, as the viewer. Um, but, yes, uh, if, if you're one of those people who enjoy, you know, films like this, um, not saying I'm sure that there's, you know, parts that you won't think is, is perfect or but I do feel like you'll definitely be entertained. So um, this is a sick movie and the violence is pretty crazy. So you need to check it out at least once. I wouldn't recommend it to someone who, who they just want to get into horror. You have to ease your way into it, particularly Asian horror. This this one's not not for you. I don't know. Start with the eye or something. But this one, uh, this is this is for the pros. <laughs> <laughs> you you must you must be this demented to get on Dream Home. Yes. <laughs> uh, there's a level of dementedness that you need to be at. So. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. I, I, I do think you have to give that little asterisk of, like, look, you're going to see some stuff that is tough. Right. But, you know, I think for most hardcore horror fans, the, like, that warning is just a challenge mm -hmm. of, like, you know, dare you watch it, you know. Yes, and that's what I'm trying to do. Like, we dare you to watch it. And then, personally, if you've seen Audition, you'll be fine. I feel you can handle this movie. Yeah. Yeah. I, this movie has more violence than audition does, you know, audition backloads that quite a bit, but, mm -hmm. uh, this movie peppers it in throughout. Like there, the, the one thing I like about the construction of this movie is that every time you think like, okay, you know, I'm starting to get more backstory. And the moment your attention starts to wander a little bit from, the drama that's unfolding of Chang's life, then all of a sudden you're back in the apartment and just the craziest shit is going off. And it's hard not to just, like I said, you know, you and I are just so on the same page with this movie where I, there is nothing negative coming out of this conversation. It is just, why are you people not watching this movie? And yes. you know, it's, 
it's incredible. I, I, I'm so, so pleased, mm-hmm. uh, that I got to include it in the, in the first season and that, and then I got to get you to, uh, to come on and, and evangelize for this movie. I'm happy to do so. Um, just also just the last thing I was going to say, I also just love the fact that a female is a murderer in this film. It's, I'm I'm not I'm a normal person, but it's it's inspiring. Like not <laughs> not for me to run out there and do the same thing, but it's just like what well, that was done right. Because I have seen some slashers and you come on, I know you've seen some of those nineties slashers. There was this one I think I saw, I for it was like something camp, but it was so bad. It was so bad. Not sleepaway camp. It was it was kinda like a ripoff of sleepaway camp and this girl, she was the killer and First off, we knew since the opening credits, so who cares? But it was like they were really trying to make her seem like she was twisted and sick. But she just sucked. But with Chang, though, it was like all around awesomeness. And I know I don't know her. I know she's not real. But I would want to hang out with her. Because she's a woman who gets stuff done. So you need that kind of person in your life to inspire you, too, to get things done. Yeah. In a proper way that's legal, that is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you just don't want to invite her to your house. Right, no. You know, you don't want her to know where you live. But, yeah, yeah. Like, if you're planning a getaway, you put the plans in her hands and you're gonna, you're gonna come up with a nice trip. Um, yeah, I, yeah, and it's, it's interesting, uh, something that we didn't really touch on. Um, so we'll do it here at the end. Uh, one conversation that comes up over and over and over again on this show, especially in regards to Japanese horror films in particular, is the presentation of women in most Japanese horror mm-hmm. is maybe not progressive. Um, you know, Jap- Japan as a culture is not the most progressive when it comes to women's issues. It's just, it, it, it is not something that I am judging. It just is how it is. Um, you know, you do have movies like audition that challenge that, but for the most part, a lot of traditional Japanese horror in particular, as I've said, is very much about, uh, kind of the rape revenge story or, uh, the, the murdered woman like Juan is a great example of, you know, the, the woman is murdered and, and a curse ensues and whatnot. Um, but there's not a lot of agency on the part of female characters. Uh, you know, it, when we talked about versus, we talked about, uh, mm-hmm. the girl in that movie who, you know, has very little to do with the action of the film, even though she's one of the three main characters. And, and, you know, conversely, this is a movie that has a very strong female character. Um, who you clearly know what she wants. She exists beyond the realm of the men she interacts with and, and, and that sort of thing. So yeah, I mean, it's, I, I don't want to say that she's a role model, but she is definitely, she is definitely a strong woman who knows what she wants and goes after it. And that is something that in a lot of, uh, you know, less so in, in Korean and, and Hong Kong cinema, but, and more so in, in Japanese cinema, uh, that is unusual. Um, so yeah, it, on that level, it is nice to see. And I guess I should shut up. I mean, you're the woman on the show. No, yeah, you know? <laughs> said it perfectly. I, I agree with you. Um, I love seeing that as well, just with, you know, strong females, especially when there's a, 
I mean, I feel like you should be strong all the time, but it, it showed her purpose. If that makes sense. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. So I don't know. I feel like I'm, I'm there with you on that. And I, I never really noticed, um, the women, uh, in Japanese movies, but just, you know, thinking back on the ones that I have seen, I do not remember one that was strong. And like, as you're describing it. Yeah, it's it uh, from a cultural perspective, it's really mm-hmm. one of the big differences between Japanese horror films and even Korean horror films or South Korean horror films. Um, that there is a more Western idea of how women are, you know, expected to behave. I suppose, like, are, are at least the opportunities to behave as they choose, mm-hmm. as opposed to fulfilling a role. Um, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. And, you know, I, I, it's one of those conversations that comes up a bunch, uh, on the show with, with the movies that we've gone over audition in particular, obviously, because mm-hmm. that, that movie is all about patriarchy to one degree or another. Right. Um, you know, you, you can interpret that movie a couple of different ways, but in, in either case, uh, it's either that <laughs> a man has encountered a monstrous woman or that a man has invented a monstrous woman to um to rationalize his behavior and um yeah it, it's it's interesting as you as you watch a, uh, more japanese horror movies uh, or go back and watch the ones that you already enjoy it's something that i wrestle with as a viewer uh because you know i love the movies but it's sort of the idea of like kind of separating the culture from the film itself where it's like, I I love this movie, but I also understand that it doesn't represent necessarily my value system, Mm -hmm. but that I think that's an unreal expectation that every movie I watch is going to reflect what I already think about something, you know? And, and I wouldn't want that, you know, I want to be challenged by a movie, Mm -hmm. um, even if I disagree with it. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, any anything else? Well, I actually had a question for you. Yes. Just um, did you have a favorite death scene? Man, that uh, the, well, the, the, the the favorite brutal. Yeah. Scene? You know the the board in the mouth. It, you know it, it. It's something you said earlier of like, well, I haven't seen that before. Yeah. Just- <laughs> And yeah, I, I had never seen that. I, you know, but all the deaths in this movie, like there is an argument to be made for every single death, mm-hmm. um, which is unusual in a slasher anyway. You right. know, a lot of them can be just like, you know, oh, the door opens up and, you know, stabby stabby in the gut or something. Um, <laughs> and in this movie, every death is earned, <laughs> you know, like yeah. Jake has to struggle and fight to kill the people she's killing. Mm-hmm. Uh, except for her father. Um, yeah. but even that scene is a good scene. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a good death scene, even though it's not, uh, as gruesome as the others. But yeah, the board in the mouth and, and the surprise return of board in the mouth lady. Yes. Um, <laughs> that's, that's pretty amazing. Um, I like that a lot. I also really, uh, I, I do really love the moment though where she opens the guy up and he just looks down to see his, his innards spill out of him. Yeah. It's hard not to like as, as a gore fan. Uh, I'm there with you. What about you? What's your favorite? Um, I think it's, it's kind of, it kind of made me laugh. So it's, even though it was so brutal, it was just the part where, you know, when she, um, 
the woman who didn't have a chance and she like looked to see who it was and then she put the little chain on the door but Ching like just basically kicked the door open. Yep, yep, yep. And I at first I thought maybe Ching like popped her eyeball out because she hit her so hard in the back of her head that it, her eyeball came flying out. But no, like she stabbed her so hard that her eyeball like popped out and it like I'm sorry, it's um. Now I just realized how sick and twisted I sound. I'm sorry. No, let, uh, let me, I, I will see your <laughs> sickness and raise you. Uh, because, th- yeah, you're right. That scene's great. But when the, when the guy comes home and steps on the eyeball and looks <laughs> at his shoe. <laughs> right. You are worse than me. <laughs> and, you know, I wonder if that girl who had the board in her mouth. On like IMDb, if her name comes up as the woman with the board in her mouth, because obviously they didn't have any names, so yeah, I I'm not sure. Uh, I wish I'd been watching that on Amazon. Amazon's got that that nice feature where you can see who the actors are in a given scene. Mm-hmm. Um, well, let's do a quick check. I got the IMDb open right here. Let's see if uh, if she is listed as board lady. <laughs> Just how I'm going to recognize her. Uh, we'll still call her that. It's da, 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 da. Nah, it's like woman A, woman B. Aww. Yeah, unfortunately, I don't. I I can't say with with certainty who that might have been. Although, uh, yeah, it is. It is so good. Um, so it could be uh, Choo Choo Zhu and. I only say that because that's an awesome name to say. Yeah. <laughs> and it, I think that, yeah, that seems like the likely, the likely suspect, uh, is, is that actress, but, um, I don't know for sure. She is not credited in the way that I would like her to be. Right. Me too. <laughs> that's still her name though. So yeah, every, every credit should be how they died. <laughs> It should be. That would have been interesting. Yeah, yeah. So, um, what? Uh, uh, any any other final thoughts? No, that's that's pretty much it for me. Just check this movie out. All right. So uh, that is 2010's Dream Home. Uh, my guest has been the lovely, the talented, uh, the sick, <laughs> the potentially criminal Tina Dixon. Uh, of Girls Will Be Ghouls fame and a YouTube channel and Real Queen, uh, Real Queen of Horror.com. And what am I leaving out? You do so much. It just, oh. it, it's so, so much. Social media fiend. You uh, are. Just, just on it. Um, that's, that's pretty much it. You covered it. Okay. Okay. And, uh, you know, we'll have links to all this stuff. Um, look, our listeners, let me address you, uh, squarely for a second. You would be a fool, as you have heard in this conversation, not to follow her wherever she leads you. So just, just sign up and, uh, and, and, and you just hang on tight. Um, and, and definitely check out Girls Will Be Ghouls. I say that not just because, uh, it is a show we host on legionpodcast.com, but it is fantastic. And I, I, you know, the last episode, uh, also features a discussion of the movie Hush. Which is a great movie, and and the discussion on that movie is really good as well. So, um, that is uh, the end of our our pimping. Um, okay, next time out. Oh, we are getting weird, my friends and neighbors.
the next show is going to be Uzumaki or Spiral. You know this movie? I've heard of I have not seen it. Oh, you got to watch it. Oh, this is a weird one. Okay. Um, so Brian Collins from the uh, ABCs of Horror and uh, other podcasts, as well as uh, uh, a lot of work in the horror fiction world, and we will talk about uh, that with him. Uh, he will be here to talk about Uzumaki. Um, and I you really watch it before you listen to this because it is such a weird movie. Nothing that we say is going to make sense until you see it. Um, but you should. So, uh, that is it for this episode of Hero Hero Go Show. Until next time, here is as much, uh, despair, Sray, as I can legally play for you. Good night. Good night.